war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, good afternoon. Right now, it is tw- uh, 106, 106 on this Monday, and you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Hey, what are you doing right now for lunch? Pop in. They're waiting for you. A delicious meal. You're going to love. Have you been to the Lodge Pub and Eatery? Maybe I haven't been there in a little while. Located 40 Break Tank Hill Road in Lincoln. Uh, right now, you could be enjoying a nice lunch, delicious food, great staff, always a nice crowd, whether it's in the dining room or whether it's in the lounge. Or now you can even sit outside. I like the outside. I got to admit, I like the outside. Folks, it is the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakdick Hill Road in Lincoln. All right, I want to get to um, some of the sound that is out there, starting with, you know, this Governor McKee uh, ad, new ad that he has. And, you know, Nelly Gorbea, you got to tell the truth. It, it's, it's all, all it is, is Gorbea, whoever put together the commercial for her. And I'm not surprised they made a mistake. I mean, I, I don't think she's that competent. I'm not surprised. Um, one consultant or person said that this is what happens when you use like an out-of-town consultant that made various mistakes. It was very sloppy. For her to do this ad, she needed a, a solid ad. But the fact is, these these aren't lies that they were putting out, that Governor McKee is trying to put out there, misleading. I, I think if there's any misleading that's been going on, it's the actions of the McKee administration. But let's listen to the the piece. I believe it's titled Misleading. Here it is. This campaign is getting desperate, using extreme MAGA Republicans to make false attacks. Her ad was taken off the airwaves because she got caught lying. Rhode Islanders know better. Dan McKee always puts Rhode Island first. He led one of the nation's strongest post-pandemic economic recoveries. one of the toughest gun safety laws. That, that right here. Using extreme MAGA Republicans to make false attacks. Her ad was taken off the airwaves because she got caught lying. That, that's actually not true. That's actually not true. Gorbea admits mistakes in campaign ad, makes edits. She didn't get caught lying. She became uncomfortable with the source of of the commercial. And Providence Journal, Nellie Gorbea uses right-wing article in ad against McKee. But that's a quote. That wasn't a real headline. This is misleading, this a McKee campaign commercial. Here it is again. Here we go. Using extreme MAGA Republicans to make false attacks. Her ad was taken off the airwaves because she got caught lying. Rhode Islanders know better. Dan McKee always puts Rhode Island first. He led one of the nation's strongest post-pandemic economic recoveries, signed one of the toughest gun safety laws in America, and took action to protect abortion rights for Rhode Island women. Lies and false attacks. It's the worst kind of politics. I'm focused on what's best for Rhode Island. I, I find that impossible to believe. What's best for Rhode Island, as I've said, folks, and again, good afternoon at 110. He is, um, 
wow, he is writing a lot of checks that taxpayers are going to have to cash if he is successful. I don't know where the folks campaign is right now. Um, other than seemingly, I, 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 don't, I, I don't even know what to, to make of where they are with trying to get some momentum going with the with the campaign and they and they're just they're not uh they, there is no sense of momentum in any way right now with that campaign so mckee is feeling good mckee got a few days off because of quote covid he is feeling very strong but Gorbea, I, I'm going to stick with. I think she has a strategy of a lot of mail ballots, and that is her path to win. But McKee is not going quietly. Gorbea has definitely had some problems. That was a that was a big blunder. That was a make no mistake. That was a costly blunder. As a matter of fact, I'm not defending Nelly Gorbea by any stretch. Um, that was, you know, you just, you wonder, can you make mistakes like that? But it doesn't mean that the, what was in it was wrong. What they, whoever, there were plenty of information there they didn't have to use the sources they used. Here's the, the latest commercial after she had to fix it. Lately for Rhode Island families. Connections to the governor paved the way for a deal. Corruption is so bad, McKee is being investigated by the FBI. That's true. McKee's cronies get insider deals at our expense. Governor McKee has returned us to the pay-to-play politics that hold us back. Rhode Island can be better. Nellie Gorbea will be a governor for us. We know her track record of making government work, and she has a plan to fix the housing crisis, invest in small businesses, and make child care and elder care more affordable. Nelly Gorbea, a governor for us. Now, again, um, is it fatal? His whole plan, Governor McKee, is to make it between now and Election Day and not have anyone talking about the FBI probe. That's what seemingly they're, they're trying to do. Um, any of that could have happened if Maniello wake up intensely covered. All we actually know is what we don't know. That's true. Um, all right, I want to go to some more sound. The um, How about that? Can you imagine Governor Charlie Crist? He's running against DeSantis, and he, his choice for a running mate is the head of the teachers' union. I mean, that is just absolutely pathetic. Here it is. Um, and then here's Charlie Chris. He's running for governor of Florida against DeSantis. What do you think about president calling millions of Americans semi-fascists? And I think that's probably... What do you think about the president calling millions of Americans semi-fascist? Listen, he's got to express and be honest about what he feels in his heart and his soul. And I think that's probably exactly what he did. What do you think... I, um, I'm going to say... I, I don't most people don't know what that means. I think that is not as bad as 
was when Hillary, you know, the whole thing with the deplorables. I don't think it's as, I, I, because I just found the deplorable thing was easy to understand, or easier, I should say, easier to understand. Most people, you ask them, they, they, don't, they don't know what that means. Um, this part is really frightening. President Trump began taking legal advice from Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch. Fitton told him you shouldn't have turned any documents over. Yeah, the only problem is Fitton didn't know what he was talking about. That guy doesn't have skin in the game. What is happening? Listen to this. Well, Jake, we know some of the folks who have been helping Trump navigate these these matters for the past couple of months. You know, Christina Bob, Jim, Jim Trustee, Evan Corcoran, those are familiar names. But what we now know is that Trump began taking advice from Tom Fitton, oh. who is the head of a conservative legal activism group, Judicial Watch, um, earlier this year, uh, shortly after he returned those 15 boxes to the National Archives in January. And what Fitton was telling Trump behind the scenes is really interesting because he was essentially saying in his belief, Trump had full authority over the documents that he brought from the White House to Mar-a-Lago at the end of his presidency, that he never should have returned documents to archives in the first place, and that if the archives archives came knocking again, that he shouldn't turn over any more documents. Hmm. And we know that Trump didn't always listen to Tom Fitton because in June during that meeting with F- with federal investigators, his attorneys did turn over additional documents. But this is it, it really speaks to sort of the behind the scenes advice that he was getting getting from people outside of his legal team. Hmm. And, and Kristen, it's not just Trump allies we should know worried about a possible indictment. Sources say Donald Trump uh, himself is even posing questions about it to his inner circle about whether or not he's going to get indicted. That's right. So we knew he had been grilling his attorneys on whether or not they believed he would be indicted, at times even expressing skepticism that that would ever happen. But we've since learned that these conversations have expanded to members of his inner circle, asking what do they believe the end game is going to be? Do they believe he's going to be indicted? And many of these sources are telling us they think it's because he is actually concerned. Now, one of them noted to me that, well, of course, Donald Trump has been in legal peril before, even when he was president. This time did feel different and potentially more dangerous, particularly given that he doesn't have that same legal protection he had in the executive office. And Gabby, part of the- you know, I want to, um, <clears throat> folks, again, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You know what is uh, terrible is since since the November election. In my mind, that's when the vultures really start to move in. At this point, it's so different than 2015 or 2016. Because, and it's so different from when he was president. The vultures have just completely moved in. I don't think, I think there was a time in the past that The likes of some of the legal people he has around him, Tom Fitton, John Solomon, um, Giuliani to me has totally lost his mind. He could be going to jail. Uh, Bannon, Mike Lindell, they're all just making money off the whole thing. Um, I I feel for President Trump because he, he has people around him that are certainly not serving him well. And 
And so, therefore, things are seemingly getting worse, not better. This, this whole episode could have been avoided. Whole episode could have been avoided. E- e- either you, and, and folks, let me also say that, listen, everybody's not corrupt. Everybody's not out to get them. There are people that work in the government. They're just trying to do their job. And if you're listening right now and want to just keep talking about, but what about, but what about, what about Hillary? What about Obama? Listen, no one should have classified documents. I, I was, I got a call Friday from someone and I was just like astounded that they were saying, yeah, this, you know, this whole thing about Trump, it's over nothing. And, and the Secret Service is there. That, that, that is not the way it works. And the Secret Service are there to provide protection for the president. They're not security guards. They're to prevent any harm. But their, their job is not to, you know, protect if someone breaks into, you know, I don't know, the clubhouse or something on the property of Mar-a-Lago. Their, their job is to protect him, the former president. Why he would have information about highly classified material, I, I, no one will answer that. And I, I don't get, you know, this business of, you know, he had the letter that the head of North Korea wrote him. I, I mean, I could almost see, but at the same time, that's, that was written to you as the president of the United States. That, that, that is... You know, it seems pretty clear that that belongs to the country. That is a significant historical document. And and the same thing with the letter that President Obama wrote him. I mean, I I didn't invent the rules. That just seems to be the way that it goes down. But as far as what, why would you have lists of where CIA operatives are in the, around the world? That makes no sense at all. Why would you have sensitive classified information. No one seemingly can come up with an answer on that. Because I don't think there is a good answer. Now, if if he listened to Tom Fitton and John Solomon, and we already saw what happened with listening to Lynn Wood and, you know, Rudy, who was always seemingly half in the bag, and Jenna Ellis and... um. Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, that whole crew released the Kraken, went nowhere. One thing I've noticed about Mike Lindell, every time he says President Trump will be returning to the White House shortly, sales go up of my pillow. Every time Mike Lindell says we're very close to overturning the election, sales go up from my towel, my sheets, my bathrobe, my slippers. Blah, blah, blah. Every time he says things are are happening, his sales go up. What, what do you think his reaction to that is? What do you think his reaction to that? What would anyone's reaction be, as a matter of fact? You know, I've used in the past, Reverend Al Sharpton was a nobody. And I mean a nobody. And then he found that every time the cameras would go on, if he would say that Tawana Brawley, 
that case from the 80s was was raped and so forth by police officers. Every time he talked about that, and if he kept saying it, he kept getting on TV. And he kept doing interviews. And he'd go on Donahue and Geraldo. And he'd be all over the news in New York City and blah, blah, blah. And there's definitely a Pavlov dog effect where Mike Lindell, you know, they're, they're checking and they're reading, huh, you know, the week of, just as an example. Boy, for some reason, the week of June 1st, sales were up 18 to 20%. And then they look at, oh, okay, the week of June 1st, that's when Mike Lindell was saying and doing speeches and interviews saying, President Trump's going to be returning to the White House. So Mike Lindell and his whole crew, they're like, oh, wow, there's a direct correlation that every time I announce he's returning, he don't worry, he'll be returning. Don't worry, he'll, he'll be returning to the White House. It's all under control. Every time he, he noticed that he said that, he saw a spike in sales from my pillow and, and some of the other things that they that they sell. So, you know, that can't be ignored either. Um I want to go to um let's see, 123. Dan McGowan was on Newsmakers over the weekend. And with uh, Tim White and Ted Nisi. And I want to dip into a little bit of that. You know, I'm looking at right now, I just, you know, Steve Bannon and John Solomon. There's nothing good coming out of that. I mean, there is just nothing good coming out of that crow. Because to me, that is the vultures have just moved in. And there what? listen, I thought Steve Bannon was brilliant. And he's a very compelling guy. And he and Kellyanne Conway, they got President Trump elected in the fall of 2016. And that is just a fact. They absolutely did. They get got him elected. But since he has left the, the White House, Bannon just seems to be on a on a straight path of um of making money. Um, where is it? I know they were, he was on Newsmakers. Um, and I want to play that. I, I, I still say that. Oh, here it is. Okay. Oh, oh talking about the yeah, mayoral race. So let me, I want to dip into this a little bit. Dan McGowan really knows Providence, as a matter of fact. Um, and folks, at 125, again, good afternoon. The uh, Between now and the election and primary day, I mean, we're going to focus a lot on the elections. And I think it's interesting that Mayor Fung, I think he's doing the right thing, getting on television now, uh, getting a head start. He's going to face Magaziner. The other people just just didn't understand what it was going to take to be successful. I thought Magaziner, if a smaller field, he could have been beatable, but not the way you can't have this big field. And then people run for different reasons. So people definitely run for different 
for different reasons. And that's that's more than apparent because not everybody is running to win. Let me hear. All right, here's a little bit of newsmakers with McDonald. Exactly. Um, so, Dan, we'll, we'll start with you. And same question to Ted, I suppose. Uh, you watched the hour-long debate. Thank you very much. What was your biggest takeaway from that? Oh. Well, you guys won. The <laughs> <laughs> don't don't, don't look up to the hosts it, here. You know, look, at, I think I was surprised. I'm surprised this entire race about how um, underwhelming the candidates yeah. tend to be. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but, you know, first segment, you come out on schools, most important issue in the city, very controversial. We didn't come away learning very much from these candidates. So, you know, I was surprised by how, you know, in a chance where, um, particularly for Gonzalo Cuervo and Near Villa Fortune, perception is Brett Smiley's in the lead. You thought this would be their chance to kind of break out. Not sure they did. Uh, you know, they had some interesting exchanges and stuff, but there's nothing that comes away where I say, boy, I, I, I remember that moment from the debate. I think it, it, was, it was relatively underwhelming. And again, no fault of yours at all. It was the candidates. This has been the race they have chosen to run. Well, probably the most memorable moment of, of the debate. Uh, beside an exchange, which we're going to play, uh, and throughout this program, we're, we're going to be playing sections from the debate uh, to bring you highlights from it. If you want to watch the entire debate, it is on uh, WPRI.com. Probably one of the more memorable things was the pop quiz <laughs> section of the debate, which we will also be uh, bringing you. Ted, you were one of the moderators, along with me and Steph. What was your biggest takeaway? Well, mine sort of dovetails with Dan's, which is uh, this was both, you know, they're, they're still a bit mushy, these mayoral candidates, yet this also felt like the most grounded we'd gotten them in this whole campaign. I mean, we got a lot of good feedback, which, of course, we appreciated, but also I got the feeling, Dan, from folks who are watching this and don't know how to vote, people, very plugged in people said, finally, I got a sense of maybe some differences between these people because this has been, and frankly, we've talked, we talked about it last week, Tim, on the show, this is a... This doesn't feel like Rhode Island where politics is a blood sport this year. Whether Whatever race you're talking about, this is a sleepy campaign year. And Providence politics, I mean, I, I think we all remember Buddy Cianci. It was not exactly known for being a sedate. And yet this has been a, a quiet race. You think about this, eight years ago, you know, I'd been working here for a year. Mm -hmm. My only job was to, come, was to follow around all the candidates for mayor and... People read the news. There was lots of news in those races. And there was lots of things to go to. And there was, right. lots, of, there was lots of events. You just don't see that same kind of, uh, you know, um, energy. Do you have a theory on why that is? I think people are exhausted. I do. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, uh, on Newsmakers last week, I'm a loyal viewer. Sid McKenna made a great point. People feel pretty good right now. I know gas prices are high, things like that. But if you have money, um, you know, if you're finally kind of not wearing a mask all the time, people are not necessarily glued in. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the big issues, Providence schools, the pensions, I feel like people don't necessarily want to. There isn't a great answer, clearly, from these candidates. Yeah. And so everybody just thinks, ah, they're all the same. That's a good point, too. I know we're going to go to the, the, yeah. the, the excerpt, Tim. But just briefly, you know, the two you just mentioned, schools, pensions, huge, huge issues for the next mayor. Yet also ones where I think all three of us know as reporters, their hands are very tied. The schools are not even in city control at the moment. You know, part of the bit is when should you even have control of them? And the pension, you heard what they said. They, they know 
they have very few options to try to fix such a huge financial problem. So maybe there's nothing to get too excited about. Yeah, to Sid's, Sid's point, schools and pensions are, are a bummer, you know, to people, <laughs> yeah, to yeah. people at home. Right, they want to be in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to uh, play a, a section from the debate. Both Gonzalo Cuervo and Nirva LaFortune targeted Brett Smiley uh, on your question to, uh, to him, Ted, on an ethics fine Smiley received for fundraising uh, tactics. Tactics. We'll play that second here. Uh, you also asked each of the candidates uh, about a criticism uh, that they have faced. This section, I should note, has been edited for time. Take a listen. Well, I want to ask each of you about criticism you faced on the campaign trail. Mr. Smiley, I'll start with you. Providence has a long history of corruption in the mayor's office. Many people don't want to go back to those days. You paid a $4,500 penalty to the Round Ethics Commission earlier in your campaign because you raised money from state vendors while you were holding a high state job. Why should voters elect a mayor of Providence who has already violated the code of, office, uh, code of ethics before even taking office? So I'm really proud of my track record uh, with the state and, and what I accomplished when I was working for state government. And I went proactively to the Ethics Commission to get guidance. Uh, when I found out that I had received contributions from people with state contracts, I promptly returned it. I fully cooperated with the Ethics Commission, and, and as you rightly point out, I paid a penalty. Uh, honestly, I think we need more public servants who are willing to admit when they made a mistake, take ownership of it, uh, and, and be prepared to talk about it. I would argue that Brett, who prior to being an administrator, spent 15 years plus of his life being a professional fundraiser and campaign finance compliance officer. He is an expert in the field of campaign finance to the extent that nobody else in this room is. And when he asked for guidance, he turned around and did exactly what he told the Rhode Island Ethics Commission he was not going to do. And therefore, he received an exceedingly high fine for the Ethics Commission, $4,500. So high that John Marion, executive director of Common Cause Rhode Island, said that the high dollar amount of that fine indicated that this was not simply an oversight in John Marion's words. John Marion, often respect on that. What's your response? My response is the minute I found out that I had received contributions from people that I had no idea had contracts with the state, I promptly returned them. And then I fully cooperated with wow. the Ethics Commission and took not responsibility good. for the mistake. But Mr. Smiley, if I made the same mistake, I would have been destroyed. And we all know that. Wow. So, so well, Mr. Fortune, let me, uh, let me turn to you. Um, you've served on the Providence City Council for five years now, yet only one of your 14 colleagues has endorsed you. A majority Ooh. have endorsed your two rivals. If the people who've already worked with you at City Hall don't Good think question. you should be mayor, why should the voters? Wow. Listen, I'm not beholden to anyone, and I do have some city council people that I've worked closely with that has endorsed me. Okay. I'm not making any How many Anthony deals. has? How many have? Uh, Sam Zurier has endorsed me. He's not me. on the council anymore. Oh, he's not, but he's a former council person, and he's a senator. Helen Anthony has publicly endorsed me. I've had some um, state representatives who I've worked with, um, particularly on my side of town, who have endorsed me. Look, we've my never had a woman mayor. We've never had a black person mayor. We've never had a woman of Afro-Latina um, mayor. The reality is there are people who are going around saying I'm not a viable candidate and people do need to get reelected, but I have proven that I can compete with the guys. So you know what? I'm going to continue on this journey and um, towards winning on September 13th. But I have worked hard as a city council person. I've worked ethically and I and while being a parent, while working full-time. Mr. Cuervo, you're running for mayor of Providence, but records show you owned a house in Cranston from 2013 to 2020. Why did you move out of Providence, and when exactly did you move back? So I moved out of Providence in 2013 because Ooh. my family wanted to...
live in a different environment and we were looking at homes all over Providence and most of the homes that were within our range of affordability required extensive renovations. And we found a home in Cranston, 10 minutes away, that we that fit our budget and fit my family's needs, my two children and my wife. We moved to that and in 2019 I moved back to Providence and put the house up for sale at the time. Um, it took a while to sell the house and this house actually sold in 2020 but I was I moved back to Providence in 2019 in May of 2019. What do you say to people who say well he moved back because he knew the mayor's seat would be open and he wanted to be there for a couple of years before the race? Yeah. I moved back because it made sense because my daughter went off to college and my son wasn't living with us anymore and we had the opportunity to move into a beautiful loft apartment at Rising Sun Mills on Valley Street. So some of that more heated exchange there uh, during the debate among the three candidates. Um, you know, Dan, you've covered a lot of the forums and debates. You've done a ton of them uh, in the city now. Certainly a live televised debate, higher stakes, a little bit more energy than those. But is this the most they've mixed it up, you would say? Or has it been kind of like that throughout? No, I mean, that no, that exchange where, where Ted, you asked really good questions, was... Uh, that's what you hear about, you know, behind the scenes. That's what when you see Gonzalo yeah. Cuervo, you know, at the Mount Pleasant Little League, he's talking about. <laughs> I can't believe Brett's, you know, not, you know, getting off the, the hook on these kind of things. Or and that's certainly what all the other candidates say too. In the forums, I mean, remember, think about these forums. Now I've moderated a couple of them. They tend to be pretty strict format. Of I'm going to ask everybody the same question. Um, and 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 you guys have a much, I think, a much looser and better format in the sense that you encourage that kind of debate. I think there were, all three of them were waiting, well, certainly Gonzalez Two of them were waiting. waiting for that <laughs> yes. moment, because they, they both swang and hit, you know, they got hits out of, the, of those things. They, they landed a punch on Brett, for sure. And that's, and that's why you wanted to do that. Yeah, well, and also, as Dan says, and it's, again, not just in the mayor's race, because people don't want to attack each other this year, all of a sudden, Rhode Island's, so, Rhode Island's turned into Iowa before my very eyes, and we are so polite. So, people, the voters don't even actually know about these criticisms. We heard from people at Bay who said, Brett's Smiley paid an ethics fine because the other candidates aren't talking about it. Brett's not going to bring it up. So yeah, the debate the was the first time they heard about one it. One of the things Brett Smiley did a really smart job. He bet that people would forget about it. Remember, he settled that last year or early this year, long before anybody was thinking about you know who was running for mayor. Long before you guys were planning debates. So you know this is something that uh, he he strategically made a decision on. Uh, now, do I think it plays in the race? The question is, do Brett's do, do Gonzalo Cuervo or Nerva Fortune have the resources? to really get this in front of voters and to get this in front of voters who will really care, right? The east side tends to be the more affluent place, sort of more college-educated folks, that, that kind of thing. Common cause donors. Exactly. Are they going to care, though, because they kind of know no. Brett, right? And will they believe that Brett is a bad, you know, is Brett Buddy Sancy? It's a hard question no. to, to, you know, uh, it's a hard ad to make, I think, yeah. especially when these guys don't have a lot of money. Well, well I'm curious about one thing, if it, in it, what kind of impact it had on the race, and we will pivot back to the debate in a moment, but I want to talk to you, Dan, about what I think I think is a big headline in uh, that in the race this week, which is current mayor Jorge Alorza endorsed Gonzalo Cuervo in the race. Ooh. We have about 30 seconds from his uh, press conference this week. Take a listen. You should know that Gonzalo is one of the sharpest, brightest people there are in politics, period. He's an insightful observer on a range of issues, including politics, and his experience working inside of government for the past decade plus positions him to hit the ground, ground running on day one. 
So, if I recall, Alorza had previously said he was not going to endorse in the race. Yep. Is that right? He was leaning towards not endorsing. He was never definitive, but he was, uh, he, certainly he gave signs that he was not going to endorse. This was a, a surprise. All right. Is it a big deal? It's a huge deal. I think it is. I mean, look, one, yep. he's, he's a pretty popular mayor. Just yeah. ask him. <laughs> Commission. People are saying the mayor commissioned his own poll and then called you to say, "Want to write a column about how popular I am?" Yeah, and you should say, you know, for the insiders here, I've covered Mayor Lorza for nine years. I've never sat with him for two hours on anything. About every facet of that poll and how popular it's it is. amazing how not running for office, how free relaxes you. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. I think it's a big deal. Um, and, and here's what I think it's the most important kind of singular endorsement in in the mayor's race. You look at all these other endorsements. I got an endorsement from a councilman no one's ever heard of. I got an endorsement from a former state rep. This is the sitting mayor of Providence. I think they had a really smart uh, rollout of this. You have you now have Angel Tavares and Jorge Lourdes the last twelve years of mayors who are you know who are supporting Gonzalo. He also worked for David Cicilline before that. So you have who is studiously neutral. Absolutely in this right. And, and so you have twenty years essentially of, of you know some level of support for, for Gonzalo Cuervo. So I think it really does. Uh, I think it matters. Now does it put him over the top? I mean the question becomes how much does does Jorge Lorza buy you? Four points, five points. If that's the case, this race is probably somewhere around a toss up right now. Yeah, well, I guess it, it uh, depends on the turnout, right? And, and who turns out. It's always the perennial Absolutely. question. And this is going to be a low turnout yeah. election, uh, most likely. Uh, Ted, before we go to break, what, what's your take on the uh, Alorza? I think endorsement. I think anything the two candidates, Smiley has four times the money at last check of the other two. I think anything Cuervo or La Fortune can do yep. to get on the news, yes. um, get in front of voters again, see someone saying nice things about them is a positive for them. And I will say, you know, I, I'm sure we have viewers listening who aren't fans of Mayor Lorza say, well, you know, Mayor, how's that helpful? But I also know a lot of the opposition to Mayor Lorza comes from outside the city. Yes. Um, and those people can't vote. It's That's about right. how do Providence vote? Feel Folks, again, this is, and as Dan said, you only need a small number of people yeah. who like the mayor. Or this is a Newsmakers discussion with uh, Ted Nisi, who's excellent, Tim White, and also Dan McGowan of, of the Boston Globe. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I think that's right on the money. I, I'm going to come back where I disagree with them is I think the reason if you're just going out and collecting ballots... I don't think you want a lot of people turning out. I don't think you want a big turnout. You want low turnout if you feel the lower the turnout, then that way you can kind of control the election a little bit better. And I think that's where we are at right now. So let me hear um, a little bit more of uh, Tim White, Ted Nisi, and... uh, Dean, yeah, I think Dean McGowan. I, I don't think any of one of the Hold on. Missed a little bit here. So, Ted, we've been doing uh, called the dreaded uh, new pop quiz section in some of the debates this season, testing the knowledge of the candidates on, on material that you can argue they should really have a good uh, grasp of. We did that in the mayoral debate. Let's take a listen on the uh, pop quiz section here. Ooh. Uh, Ms. LaFortune, as we've already discussed, the city's underfunded pension plan is a huge problem, and the mayor serves as chair of the Providence Board of Investment Commissioners, which manages the money in the city pension fund. I'm not looking for down to the penny, Ms. LaFortune, but approximately how much money total was in the, in the investment commission's account as of July? 
Oh my goodness, pop quiz. Um, we spent about, uh, we've spent over $93 million into the pension system, and I'm so sorry, that totally slipped my mind. That's so okay, Mr. Smiley, do you have an answer? I think current assets are about $300 million. Say it again? $300 million. And Mr. Coriable, you see right? $300. Okay, the answer is $325 million. Um, Mr. Cuervo, what is the current residential property tax rate in Providence? I believe it's 22 percent. Um, do you have it per $1,000? Um, the, the tax rate, the property tax rate in Providence per $1,000. Do you mean $22 per thousand? Okay, you said $22. Yes. That's fine. That's $22 fine. Mr. Smiley, is he right? $22 per $1,000? He's not. When, what is it? It's right. It's around $13 for the owner-occupied rate, if that's... With the, the residential property rate, not counting homestead or not homestead, just the residential property rate. Oh, he's not far off then. Okay, Ms. LaFortune? It's about 20, a little over 22, um, $22 per $1,000. We have $17.80 per $1,000. Final oh. question to you, uh, Mr. Smiley. There's been a lot of talk about police funding in the last two years. Approximately, what is the budget for the Providence Police Department? $100 million. Huh. Is he right? Yes. Ms. LaFortune, is he right? He's right. He is right. Wow. <laughs> All right, that's a pop quiz. Actually, how did you do at home on the pop quiz? I was okay. Okay. Yeah. Two out of two three? Two out of three. I got two out of three. So which two one did you miss? The, I was with them on the residential property tax rate. Mm. I couldn't figure I, I kept thinking of what the homestead was, so which ends up being the twelve bucks. That is the one that surprised me that they did most poorly on. I thought that was a brutal moment oh, for all geez. three of them. Nirvana Fortune just voted on the residential <laughs> city property council. City council. Brett Smiley's whole thing is I'm extremely boring but smart, but he didn't know the residential property rate, tax rate, and Gonzalo didn't know it either. Um, so it's a wash, I guess, because if you're a do you know the residential property tax rate voter? You don't have anyone out of the pop quiz for that. Well, this, so. was, this was the moment where if you were watching at home and you were kind of cringing, which I was, um, you, you said, is anyone running in the general election? And then you realize <laughs> the answer is no. These are your choices. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, a really good point to our viewers at home. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the primary is, this is it in this race. There's no Republican, there's no independent. Mm. So whoever wins the primary on September 13th is going to be the next uh, the next mayor of, of oh. Providence. But yeah, that was a, a surprising moment, I would say, uh, throughout. I mean, look, they're tough questions, uh, for sure. But they're not gutter questions. Right. You know, and I think that's important to speak right. to, because you and I spend a lot of time, and Steph as well, uh, the moderators. You know, we're not looking to do this to, if everyone's right, that would be great. That would show well. And sure. they were on the police budget. And question. they were, right. You know, yeah. we, we're honestly asking things that as veteran reporters, I mean, Dan, you can say if you agree or disagree, those are facts that a mayor should know, I would argue. How big is the police budget? What's your ta main tax rate? And what's in the pension fund? Can I, and I, can I just say, Brett had actually given, Brett Smiley had actually given the answer earlier in the, in the Yeah, day. and Near of a Fortune missed it. Brett had said $300 million in his earlier pension right. answer, so I was like, oh, she's going to get it. And, 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 all, get and it. all three of us, I think, it, we couldn't say anything, but in the moment, I was like, uh, and I actually thought in the moment, we're talking to behind the scenes, do we not ask it? Yeah, right? you know, because Brett had just given it. And well, my question for you, take us behind the scenes. Do you have 20 of these questions and you just pick one? We do. We line up. Yeah. So the answer is yes. I don't know if it's 20, but we do rapid fire pop quiz. But you're not picking in the moment. Do you mean in the moment? Oh, in the moment? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We hone them to we know which three rapid fire we're going to go with and which three pop quiz. If you want real behind the scenes, there were two rapid fire questions that <laughs> we cut. 
but I ended up asking at the very end of the debate because we had a little extra time. Fair so enough. You're very back the curtain on that one. <laughs> you you uh, worked here. You know how we do this. <laughs> You've been involved in these debates. You, yeah. <laughs> you just winged it, didn't we? Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely not. All right. I do. Uh, we have five yeah. minutes left in the show. I want to pivot to uh, the governor's race. We saw the first attack ad in the governor's race. This one by Nellie Gorbea. Let's take a, a piece of it here. Times have been tough lately for Rhode Island families. The questions of whether connections to the governor paved the way for a deal. And the FBI have now joined a criminal investigation into the deal. McKee's cronies get insider deals at our expense. Governor McKee. So the first attack ad there by uh, Nellie Gorbea. She is leaning into the FBI investigation into the controversial school contract the McKee administration awarded to ILO Group. There is absolutely no indication that the McKee administration has any criminal exposure in this deal. But obviously, trying uh, Gorbea is trying to harness it for... Uh, you know, political gain. Uh, you know, I guess the most surprising thing to me, Ted, on this attack ad is that it's airing now with just three weeks to go to the primary and not a month ago. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, that's been the surprise throughout this race. I mean, they've been playing for all the marbles in the governor's race. We've never seen a poll showing anybody over 30 percent. It's been Nellie Gorbea and Dan McKee neck and neck in the 20s throughout. Uh, Helena Folks is only in the teens. You'd, you'd think in previous Ooh. races, people come out swinging. I was talking to a veteran uh, renowned politician not long ago who was just shaking her head at the fact that these people uh, hadn't done these contrasts because we talked about last week, yes, people hate negative ads, they say, and they don't they like were. to watch them. But if you don't point out things that are wrong with yep. your opponent to the voters, they may never hear them, and they that's might right. just vote for them. And that's where things have been going. They work. I mean, they, they work. And what uh, Gorbea tried to do in this ad is you tried to knock down her opponent, and then the last 15 seconds is trying to up. prop herself up, try and draw a contrast. Now, Governor McKee has been on with his own paid advertising. He's tried to put out, he, you know, has from the start put out more positive message, the one that m most people remember or know of, which I don't know if it's still airing or not. Uh, I think it's cycled out uh, at the moment. He has, he has, he has other ads on right now. now yeah. Is the one with his mother uh, where they're in the kitchen, they're playing cards, and she's got those uh, glasses on. We can play a little bit of, if we have it here. Um, that's the one we're talking about. Most people at home will probably remember that. Dan, Dan I, I got to say, you know, McKee's ads have been pretty good this cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the two best ads of the cycle. The mother ad and then his most recent one where he rips up the car tax. It's a great visual and it's a good ad. It makes a lot of sense. question now is, you know, uh, we've, we've all covered this. You guys have faced it uh, pretty hard is, is you've covered the governor very hard. He does not take negative coverage Ooh. very well at all. Mm -hmm. um, how does he handle the negative ads now? Is he, is he going to throw them off track? If I'm him and I'm feeling pretty good about myself still, uh, you know, I might just stay on air with the positive ad and the here's what I'm doing to get to, to try to, you know, make my case and yeah. try to finish, get over the top. Sure. That's, That's the paid advertising part of it, but we're now in debate season. Yes. Yeah. And this stuff will undoubtedly come up on the stage. So to your point, I think, Ted, you know, how is Governor McKee is probably going to be like Brett Smiley was in the Providence mayoral, like Seth Magaziner will probably be in our debate next week in, in the second congressional district. He's probably going to be the focus of the attacks on the stage, right? Yeah, and I, just, I remember how uh, cold uh, that debate between him and Aaron Regenberg was. Remember oh, on Newsmakers yes. four years ago? That By the end brutal. of it, I'll never forget, you asked, you this has I been am. tough, Tim. You said, can you guys say something nice about each other? And Governor McKee looked at him and said, you have a nice car. Right. You know, that's how frosty things yeah. had gotten. So, you know, now that the governor is the governor, the front runner, can he handle all the incoming no. he's probably going to get in the two TV debates that are scheduled, ours is September 6th? Um, and 
and then also just strategically, does Helena Folks have an opportunity? Look at these two fighting, or is it just the hour too late for her to get out of the teens yes. uh, and, and and get into the front ranks? And then for Nelly Gorbea, you know, again, it's coming very late, and she's used up a lot of her money while McKee has big outside money in for him as well as his own cash. I just, you know, I'm just surprised Folks and Gorbea allowed the incumbent this much time to, to build himself up. I think these debates, though, I, I gotta get like 15 seconds. I gotta tell you, I think these debates are going to be huge because they are that first test where they're going to get serious questions from serious people, and it's going to be a live setting. I think I think it will tell us a lot heading into the September 13th. All right, well, we, our next debate is not the gubernatorial one. Actually, Tuesday live in these studios, we have a debate in the second congressional district. Uh, Joy Fox, Seth Magaziner, Sarah Morgenthau, and David Siegel. There are four Democrats running to replace. Jim Langevin for Congress. Whoever gets through that will go on to face Republican Alan Fong. It is again Tuesday at 8 p.m. on Channel 12 and streaming live on WPRI. So, folks, I think that was a very good discussion. Good afternoon. It's 1.50. And you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our program... Folks, don't forget, it's brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. What are you doing right now? It's 10 minutes to 2 on this Monday. You could pop by the Lodge, whether you're in the dining room, or maybe you're in the, the lounge, or maybe out on the deck. A great meal, great time is waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. I want to just go through um, some other headlines on this uh, Monday. So... Listen, I, I think those guys are all very plugged in. I think that was a good discussion. I I could be I believe that the mail ballots are gonna play a much larger role because early voting is underway right now, especially with the drop boxes. I think that explains that that's been a big shift. I don't think it's a positive shift either. I would agree that I am surprised at the direction of the campaigns of both Helena Folks and Nelly Gorbea. Because right now, the Democrat primary just remains a two-person race. It remains Dan McKee, Governor Dan McKee against Nelly Gorbea. Matt Brown is nowhere. That guy, Daniel Monez, who's not even a doctor, is at 1%. But Helena Folks, you know, last fall... When she announced, I I did a story on DePetro.com. I thought she was making a big mistake. She should have run as an independent. There have been a lot of, it's never as easy as it seems. She, people had mentioned Gina Raimondo. Gina Raimondo was first general treasurer, learned a lot from her first campaign. Then it was an open seat when Chafee announced he was not running for re-election. That is not the case. The dynamic that changed was Ramundo leaving and then McKee getting the leg up. I agree with them, what you just heard. They've, it is surprising they've allowed McKee as strong as he is. I think yesterday in one of the, the Sunday shows, maybe Meet the Press, whatever, Helena Folks is still running the Hi, I'm Helena Folks ads. I. I think that I think that's a problem. If it's this late in the game and you're still running the hello, here's who I am ads. Um, there seems to be this. I, I agree with the thought. And Justin Katz mentioned this that. And by the way, we're going to have him on tomorrow for politics this week. But um, that this thought that 
if folks started attacking McKee, it helps Gorbea. It sounds like here we are and early voting is underway and mail ballots are underway. And Helena folks has not figured out how to establish herself different than McKee and Gorbea. Because the whole element of I'm not a politician, it doesn't seem to be resonating. She's not drawing big crowds. She doesn't seem to be doing a lot in the media right now. They could be trying to, I don't know what to think. That must be a tough campaign. You're trying to, I mean, still have some ways to go here. I mean, it's the week of the 29th. A week from today is September 5th, Labor Day. So you have all this week, you have all next week, and then the, you know, the election day is September 13th. But as I have said, and I'm staying with it, the the election is two weeks from tomorrow. I think a lot of votes are going to be cast before that. September 13th is two weeks from tomorrow. Thursday, September 1st. I'm not breaking news here, but... (laughs) Uh, but I agree with them. I mean, if there was ever a time, it's like, what are you waiting for? I mean, even now, if they just opened up the faucet and, like, bombs away, maybe they feel that just paves the way for Gorbea. I don't know. But it's not happening. It is definitely not happening right now for the folks' campaign. And McKee has just played let's make a deal to get all the the union endorsements. So so there's that. You know, I'm looking at also, folks, um, this headline right now, FBI, the, the Don calls for uprising. I, I, um, I'm going to again repeat, I don't see how this is positive, how this helps. The more that President Trump keeps complaining about the FBI, telling people to go after the FBI, challenging the FBI, Unless I'm missing something, I don't see how that helps his case. President Trump encourages FBI agents, go nuts, not take it anymore over the raid. They they still think they're dealing with a, one of the great agents. We aren't going to take it anymore. One of the wonderful people at the FBI went nuts, so coming had to backtrack. I, I don't... I, I don't understand why he just keeps talking about it. Because <laughs> you know who's not in the news is Biden. And that helps Biden. And that helps the the Democrats. It does. The another a very folks at 156, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. An interesting race to watch is gonna be this Mayor Fung and Against Seth, I mean, and again, the Seth Magazine race is the same way. Just uh, unless people are not running to win. And I don't understand why you run. You know, I know some people think, well, you know, and I at one point, well, you know, maybe you run, get your name out there. And and I still remember this person that had been a congressman and said, no, you only run to win. And, And they're right. Because what a lot of people don't realize is every time you run, you collect money from people, donate. If you lose... It's very difficult, if not impossible, to go back and ask them to give you money again. 
more often than not, they will not. So, so you don't. It's all about winning and picking races that you can win. It's better to wait, not go for a big office, and um, instead of losing. So it is hard to believe, but on this Monday, August 29th, Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee and his running mate, Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, are both actually in very good shape and favored to win their primaries. Um, That obviously is still a lot can happen here. A lot can happen. I mean, it's the 29th. So you have, as I said, all of this week. And then next week, coming out of Labor Day is big. And then, boom, there's the primary day is the 13th. And then that sets up the general, you know, which is November 8th, is the general election day. But a lot of these races are going to be decided beforehand. So uh, if, if it's Governor McKee, this sets up a very interesting race against that for Ashley Kalis. If she gets McKee, she's in a really good position. I know she's from out of town. I think that's when people really start paying attention. She Because there will be a huge difference between the two of them in the debates. If he can win the primary. I know he thinks he could easily beat her. I think they all think they could. As I've talked about, the person that she seems to fear the most is Helena Folks. Because then you just have... Two um, former women who were business people. And in a situation like that, folks wins that. But Ashley Kalis against McKee, that could be an interesting matchup. Folks, it's 159. It's John DePietro. I want you to enjoy this Monday. We will be doing Facebook Live later. Again, go to the website. You can uh, go to the shop. A lot of things to buy in the shop. Original stories. We have more stories coming up on the website uh, a little bit later today. So in the meantime, stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news. And then enjoy your Monday. Seemingly a nice week here. A lot of the kids are back in school. It's WNRI Winsocket. W260DC. WNRI.